You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we have a special message in store for you. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. All right, let's take our Bible, turn to Jude. Jude and Revelation. Little book of the Bible, but filled with great truth. As I shared this um, month, we're going to be focusing on the church. I thought it would be good for us. I've only spoken on this subject on a couple different occasions over almost 40 years of ministry. So it isn't something that I've preached on regularly at all, but I see the need of doing so. Uh, If you were in adult Sunday school class this morning, Phil brought a great message on how the generation before us must be uh, very careful to pass on the truth to the next generation. And I seem to think sometimes we forget about our history and where we have come from. And so in Jude chapter, <clears throat> I guess only one chapter, verse 3. <laughs> Behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, everyone saved the same way. Hallelujah. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, there was a need of exhortation here, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith is never changed. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained to this condemnation, and he'll talk about the condemnation in the rest of the passage. Who were before ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. They may appear to be godly, but they are ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, sexual immorality, and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance." Heavenly Father, I pray you'd bless this next month as we focus on the church and the purpose of the church and why we're here. And Lord, as we do a little history lesson today, help us understand the reason why we call ourselves Baptist. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, why are you a Baptist, what would you say? Many would say, well, my mom and dad were Baptist and so... I guess I'm a Baptist. Others may say, well, that's the church that I attend. It's a Baptist church, so I'm a Baptist. Or others would say, well, I I just prefer the Baptist religion. Others may say, well, um, I'm just in agreement with Baptist church doctrine. Some would say, well, I was saved in the Baptist church. So there are many reasons people give for being a Baptist. But do you know why you are a Baptist? Do you know what a Baptist is? Now, what I'm going to do this morning is kind of just do an overview, a quick overview of Baptist history. And to do that, we need to go back to a group back in the 16th and 17th century called the Anabaptist. Not anti-Baptist, but Anabaptist. Baptist. The Anabaptists were a group 
who, could, who were considered at their time a very radical religious group of reformers who came into existence in Switzerland and suffered tremendous persecution by both the Roman Catholic Church and Protestant churches, particularly the Lutherans and the Calvinists. Thousands, thousands of Anabaptists. I remember years ago as I was putting together, uh, remember when I used to do the overhead projector? How many remember the old overhead projector? And I was getting some pictures for the overhead projector. I was talking about the persecution of the church. I remember coming across a drawing in this period of time of just mass hangings of the Anabaptist. Thousands were drowned at this time. They were beheaded, they were burned at the stake. They were hung mostly by the Roman Catholic Church, but again by many Protestant churches at that time. The Catholics didn't like them, and the Protestants didn't like them. Anabaptists were persecuted, and here I'm going to give you some of the reasons why they were persecuted at this time. They were persecuted because of their interpretation of Scripture, which put them in direct conflict with the state-run church, which would have been the Church of England, and the Roman Catholic Church and Catholic doctrine. Anabaptists adhered to the literal interpretation of the Scriptures. They believed that salvation was by grace through faith, apart from the works of the law, and they strongly rejected infant baptism. And so you can see why the Anabaptists were not loved, appreciated by the Catholics as well as by the Protestant church at that time. They were given the name Anabaptist by their persecutors. This wasn't, they didn't call themselves Baptist. They were labeled Anabaptist. Now the, the word Anna is a Greek word and it means again. So we would say they were again Baptist. Why would, they lay, why would their persecutors label them again Baptist? Because they believed that when a person received the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, if he had been baptized as an infant, he needed to be re-baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were called again Baptist because they did not hold to infant baptism. Anabaptists were ostracized. They were persecuted severely, as I've just mentioned. They were Christians who believed in delaying baptism until candidates confessed his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They called it believer's baptism. Have you ever heard that before? We still call it that same thing today. Believers' baptism. You are not to be baptized until you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a teaching of Scripture. Anabaptists were in great conflict with civil society because part of their belief was to obey the Scriptures no matter what the cost. So if obeying God went against uh, their authorities went against the law, went against the wishes of their authorities. This is what they believed. They had to obey God rather than man. That was the Anabaptist. And so because they didn't conform to society. Look at how society is trying to conform the church today. They said, we will not conform. 
We will not come under the laws of the state. We're under one law, and that's the law of God. The persecution of the Anabaptists spread throughout Europe and was larger, largely responsible for their immigration to North America. Here are some of the things, as I just studied this history over the past few weeks, I kind of jotted down some of the things that they were persecuted for. And so just bear with me as I read through the, I know this isn't a normal sermon that I preach. It's much different. But this is what they believe. Anabaptists believe that the Bible was the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. Amen. Amen. They believe the Bible alone, not church tradition or religious creed, was the guide in all matters of faith and practice. We still use that same phrase today. We believe the word of God is our sole authority of life and practice. Where do we get that from? We got that from the Anabaptist. The Anabaptists believe that the church is to be made up of believers only, not people just born into the local parish. The local church was not to be governed by a hierarchy, and Christ alone was the head of his church. The church should be pastorally led and self-governing. They believed that each local church was to be self-governing, self-supporting, made up of members, each of them to play a vital, important role within the body of Christ. The Anabaptists refused to become members of the Church of England, saying that Christ, not the monarch, was the head of the church. Anabaptists became known as nonconformist, nonconformist or dissenters. Wasn't that exactly what the Bible tells us to be? Be not conformed. They had great conviction. Matter of fact, on Wednesday night, I'm going to be talking about the importance of developing biblical conviction in your life. Make sure you're here for that. The Anabaptist movement believed that everyone is equal in the sight of God, that God is no respecter of persons contrary to the church's teaching of the hierarchy. Amen to that. Anabaptists believe that no hierarchy of bishops or priests could exercise any authority over the local church and its members. Anabaptists rejected the idea that authority flows down from previous church leaders who can be traced back to the apostles in apostolic succession. I'll talk a little bit more about that Probably most of you don't know what apostolic succession is. I'll deal with that here in just a little bit. Anabaptists believe that when Christ died on the cross, he died for everyone, and that salvation is offered to all men. Anabaptists refused to follow Calvinistic teaching, which taught that Christ died only for a particular group or elect people. They considered that a false gospel. Amen. That's why we're not Calvinist. Anabaptists encourage, listen to this. This is all this next month. Anabaptists encourage those attending their services to become church members through baptism, involve themselves in evangelism, discipleship, and church ministry. Amen. They just expected that you were saved, baptized, a member of a local church, and you got busy serving God. They just, they just expected that. 
They believe that the local church alone appoints ministers, elders, deacons, and others who take a spiritual leadership role within the church. These are just some of the beliefs of the Anabaptist. Guess what? Every one of those is exactly what we believe. And thousands of them gave their lives for those beliefs. So now I want to propose a question to you. What is the difference between an Anabaptist and a Baptist? Not much. Not much. Yes, there is a difference, but no, there isn't a difference. Our beliefs are basically the same. But our origin sometimes is called into question. So let's go back. The Anabaptists were a group that others considered radical, religious reformers, formed in what country? Switzerland. Good job. You're listening. In the 16th century, and were greatly persecuted through the 16th century and on into the 17th century. Now, Baptists, not Anabaptists, but Baptists, it's a little bit hard to really trace our history back to when we were called Baptists. By the way, let me say this. We never called ourselves Baptists. Our persecutors called us Baptists. It was like uh, Anabaptists. Baptist. It was a derogatory term that was given that labeled us because we were those nonconformists. By the way, let me say this. The Baptists were never a part of the Reformation. We are not Protestants. We never protested. The Baptist church existed well before the Protestant Reformation. A lot, of people, a lot of people think that Baptists are Protestant. We are not Protestant. Now, there's some different beliefs as to when, like I said, it's a little bit confusing, not real clear about the origin of the Baptist church, but there are three major beliefs that come forward. Some believe that the Baptists can trace their origin all the way back to John the Baptist. That's what many believe. If you were to ask a child, why are we called Baptists? They would say, because we came from John the Baptist. Okay? No, Baptists were not called Baptists because of John the Baptist. Now, this is, this is a movement that has been called the, the Baptist Bride Movement. Any, any of you here ever heard of the Baptist Bride? I know Jim, whatever, a few of you. It's called the Baptist Bride Movement. And this is what they believe. Only Baptist churches that can trace their history back to John the Baptist are legitimate churches. Now, how they figure that out, I don't know. But the movement began in 1851 by some Southern Baptist Convention preachers, but today it is only held by a few independent Baptist churches. The Baptist Bride Movement. Now let me say something about that. There's no way that we could go back to John the Baptist because Jesus said, after the baptism of John, I will build my church. I what? Will. What does that mean, I will? It's still future. So we can't trace ourselves back to John the Baptist. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when Jesus made that statement, the church was in the heart and mind of our Savior. He was laying the foundation, and then it says this, it was built upon 
the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is how I see the church. I see that it was conceived in the heart and mind of our Savior. We know that. But it was birthed at the day of Pentecost with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But some say it goes back to John the Baptist. It does not. No matter what the Baptist bride movement says, it does not. Others say that we can trace our origin as Baptist all the way back to the New Testament church because we hold the same beliefs and we have the same faith that the New Testament church has had. And I'd say, yeah. Now, we weren't called Baptist then. We were the true church. But again, we weren't labeled Baptist until centuries later by our persecutors. Some believe that the Baptists can trace their roots back to the Anabaptist movement. Then through over a period of time, the Anta was just dropped off and the name Baptist was retained. And we do definitely have some of our origin there in the Anabaptist movement as well. But the best historical evidence that I could come up with, and believe me, I did a ton of research. The best evidence that I could come up with was that the name Baptist became associated with the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ in about the 7th century. Anna was dropped off, Baptist was maintained, but we actually existed before the Anabaptist movement existed. Again, Baptists were never a part of the Church of England. We were never part of the Protestant Reformation. We were simply earnest people who believed the Bible was the Word of God. We read the Bible. We sought to live by the Bible and establish our churches according to the Bible. That's it. That's what we believed. They formed their congregations based upon membership of believers who had been baptized and had professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it was our persecutors that labeled us as Anabaptist or as Baptist. So let's talk about the Anabaptist. Let's talk about the Baptist. This passage of scripture that I read, that I read earlier, that we were to earnestly, what? We were to earnestly contend for the faith. Question, did the Baptist and the Anabaptist earnestly contend for the faith? That faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You can argue about our origin and exactly when we started, but I will tell you this, the Anabaptist and the Baptist earnestly contended for the faith. When I read this in the book of Jude, that Jude, it was, it was a word that was used to describe an athletic event of great intensity, intensity where they would agonize in grueling training in order to win a prize. It's amazing what Olympic athletes go, go through to win a prize. These, these, this contending described athletes who put their whole heart and soul into winning an athletic event. They were contending earnestly to win that prize. Now, the Apostle Paul picked up that same imagery of the Christian life under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Listen to what he said. Know ye not that they which run in a race 
run all. They contend. They put their whole heart into it. They which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. And then he says this to the Christians, so run! In the same way that these athletes run and they contend for the prize, so run that ye may attain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. He is self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, no longer fit for the Lord's use. He said, no, I am going to earnestly contend, just like an athlete would, to win the prize. So think about that. Are you still with me? With the same passion, with the same intensity, with the same discipline that athletes have, we should also have as the church of Jesus Christ. We should be earnestly contending for the faith, just like the Anabaptists and just like the Baptists did. Even, listen, even if it cost us our lives, we need to be willing to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? It gives us why. For there are certain men crept in unawares who, be, who before were ordained to this condemnation. They are ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness or immoral behavior. I believe that we are experiencing today in the church of Jesus Christ that exact same thing. Individuals, evil men, have crept into the church this is what the Bible said, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan, an angel of light, his ministers masquerading as ministers of righteousness, listen to me, they have crept into the church of Jesus Christ and that's why we have to be just like the Baptists, just like the Anabaptists. We have to be earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. If we don't, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose it. Now I want to share with you my concern as a pastor. I do not see a lot of contending for the faith or obedience to the faith taking place in this current generation. I'm sorry. I wish I could say different. But I don't see it taking place. And you know what? It only takes one generation to lose this. In the next upcoming generation, not just this generation, but in the next upcoming generation. By the way, a generation is only 25 to 28 years. It doesn't take long to turn things around. I mean, let's stop and look just over the past few years of how our country has changed. But I don't see a lot of contending for the faith taking place. Not in our generation or in the next generation that I see coming up. And so as a pastor, now... 60 years old next week. I'm deeply concerned. 
we've kind of lost our way. We've kind of forgotten our heritage. Those who have gone before us, fighting for the fundamentals of the faith, they are church family. They are at risk of being lost in this next generation. Compromise has taken over our church. Lysiviousness has taken over our churches. Carnality now runs rampant in many of our churches. Listen to what Paul said to the next generation. Timothy. We know that he was either in his late teens or early 20s when Paul wrote this to him. Hold fast. Hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers or those who are contrary to sound doctrine whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses teaching things they ought not listen we need Timothys we need Tituses we need young men young women to stand up and say listen I'm going to contend for the faith it was passed on to me from one generation to the next I'm not going to let it slip away. Paul said to the Philippian church, knowing that I am set forth for the defense of the gospel. To the Corinthians, he said as he finishes uh, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, he said, watch ye, stand fast. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Be a strong. I would say this, be like those Anabaptists. Be like those Baptists. Stand firm in the conviction that the Lord has given you through the teaching of Scripture. Listen, the enemies of the church are everywhere. They are outside the church, and listen to me, they're also inside the church. Remember what Jude said? They have crept in what? Unawares. Jesus said, they are tares among the wheat. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul said they are false brethren, carnal believers. And then Jude, those who have crept in unawares. Listen, I make no apology for being an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist. I mean, it, it breaks my heart when someone says to me, well, I don't, I'm not a Baptist. Well, you know what? Then you have, you, you have no understanding of the Baptist church or the history of the Baptist church. Or someone says to me, you know what? I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm a Christian. I don't want to be labeled as one of those fundamentalists. Well, I'm thankful that the Anabaptists were fundamentalists, that they adhered to the fundamentals of the faith. I'm glad that they were considered radical religious reformers because we needed some radical religious reformers at that time. Just think, just think of where we would be without these individuals. This church wouldn't even be here today. Well, when you use the word fundamental, I'm almost out of time here. I'm going to talk more tonight about what a fundamentalist is and, and why we are independent fundamental Baptist. I think now we understand why we're Baptist, 
and a little bit of our history there. But why are we fundamental Baptists? Why are we independent Baptists? I'll deal with that tonight. I just the next few minutes, I'll just try to touch on this subject of being a fundamental Baptist. You know, this word fundamental is used in a derogatory way today. If you listen to the news media, anyone that doesn't agree with them and hold their position is a crazy fundamentalist. They, they also lump us in with Islamic fundamentalists. They kind of just put us all together. I have heard over the years, I can't tell you how many people over the years have come to me and said, I am, I am not a fundamentalist. I'm a born-again Christian, but I do not want to be identified as a fundamentalist. Why would you not want to be identified as a fundamentalist? One who earnestly contends for the faith. Most of those who say, well, I don't want to identify myself with a fundamentalist and I don't want to be a fundamentalist, they have no understanding of what a fundamentalist is. Now, this is my opinion. My opinion is this, that every Christian should be contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And if you are earnestly contending for the faith, then you're a fundamental Christian. <laughs> and so I believe that every Christian ought to be a fundamental Christian, one who stands up for the fundamentals of the faith that were once delivered unto the saints. So here's what I want to do this morning in just the next five minutes or so. I want to give you a brief history of fundamentalism, and then we'll deal with this more tonight. We'll get into it in depth tonight. So the idea of fundamentalism first emerged in the late 19th century. Now, this is interesting. With some very uh, various Protestant churches and Baptist churches who were not Protestant. These evangelical churches, and here's what we mean by evangelical churches, they were gospel-preaching churches, were reacting to the rise of liberalism and modernism that was creeping into their churches at this time. Now tonight I want to tell you what this liberalism was and what this modernism was, and so I, I really can't go into that in detail because I don't have time this morning, but they're the same dangers that we face today, especially when we look at what modernism is. Modernism has taken over our churches today. We want to be the modern church, the contemporary church. It's a compromising church. And again, we'll, we'll get more into that tonight. But just to touch a little bit on liberalism here, they, liberalism rejected the inerrancy and inspiration and the authority of the scriptures. They began to embrace Darwinism or evolutionary thought. That is that you can be a Christian and have faith and still embrace Darwinism. No, you can't. They rejected the belief in eternal punishment in the lake of fire. They embraced modernism, which was teaching uh, what they called the doctrine of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. It's that everyone's saved and going to heaven. Not everyone is saved and going to heaven. We are not all the children of God. We become the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.26. There is... A heaven and there is a hell. Fifty-three references to hell in the New Testament, five references to the lake of fire. So these churches were standing up against this liberalism and modernism that was coming into the church. There was a Bible conference. Are you still with me? 
I'm almost wrapped up here. There was a Bible conference that was held at Niagara, New York in 1895. And at this Bible conference, these pastors were very concerned about liberalism and modernism and what was happening in their churches. And they formed, listen, they formed what became known as the historic five fundamentals of the faith. These were the five. Now, more have been added to that, but these were, these were the five that they all agreed on and considered themselves fundamentalist because they believed in these five. Number one, the inerrancy of Scripture. Do you believe that? Amen. Number two, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Do you believe he's God? Amen. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross? Do you believe in the physical resurrection of Christ and that one day he will bodily return to this earth? Okay. Those were the five fundamentals of the faith that these pastors and churches agreed upon. If you agree to those five, guess what you are? You're a fundamentalist. So for someone to say, I don't want to be identified as a Baptist, they have, they have no idea what the history of the Baptist church is. For someone to say, I don't want to identify as a fundamentalist, why would you not identify with the five basic five fundamentals of the faith? Then there was the growth from that point, from 1895 on up till the 70s. There was a growth of fundamentalism. Fundamentalism became a major religious movement in the United States and was pushed forward Surprisingly, by a group of conservative Presbyterians. Not Baptists, but Presbyterian theologians at Princeton Theological Seminary in the 19th century. Now that seminary is completely liberal today. The identification as a fundamentalist was picked up by the conservative Baptist and then other denominations from 1910 to 1920. So we find a great growth of fundamentalism or churches saying we believe in the fundamentals of the faith. So what was the purpose of fundamentalism? The purpose was to reaffirm key theological doctrines and defend them against liberalism, Darwinism. Tonight I'm gonna to talk about higher criticism and modernism. You know what all those things are? All those four things are an attack upon the authority of the Word of God. Boy, do we ever find an attack on the authority of the Word of God today with all the new versions that have come out. No authority. Anyway, I'll, I'll get into that liberalism and Darwinism and higher criticism. I'll deal with that all here tonight. But all an attack upon the word of God. Listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and what? Keep it. Paul said, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Isaiah said, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. 
David said, for as God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that put their trust in him. Peter said, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the truth is evil spoken of. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy, holy Ghost. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in these damnable heresies. Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It is easier, easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. The scriptures cannot be broken. God made these promises. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from generation forever. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. His truth endureth to all generations. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, thy faithfulness unto all generations. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Charles Spurgeon said these words, The Bible is the writing of the living God. Each letter was penned with an almighty finger. Each word in it dropped from the everlasting lips. Each sentence was dictated by the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you today, we have the word of God. I don't care what liberalism says. I'm certainly not going to embrace Darwinism or theistic evolution. We're not going to give in to the higher critics who say there isn't such a thing as prophecy, there isn't such a thing as the supernatural, there isn't such a thing as the inspiration of Scripture. No, the word of our Lord shall stand forever. So to be a fundamentalist means that you believe that. Do you believe in the five fundamentals of the faith, yes or no? Do you believe in all those Scriptures I've just read about God's word? It is inerrant, is infallible, it has been preserved for us. Paul said, hold fast your traditions. Hold fast. Don't let them slip away. Hold fast the form of sound words. Holding fast the faithful word as you have been taught. Stand fast in the faith. Wow. As we think of our church, I want Fellowship Baptist Church to always remain an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church who will contend for the faith no matter what it costs. 
What happened to the Anabaptists? They were burned. They were drowned. They were beheaded. And they were hung. But they held fast to the fundamentals. And we are in debt to them for that. Oh, there's so much more. But as being a fundamentalist, we hold fast to the little interpretation of the Bible. We believe that the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. That's why you stop. Do you know the Lutherans have their own doctrinal book? The Methodists have their own doctrinal book? The, the, uh, the Catholics have their own doctrinal book? Every, every mainline denomination, denomination you can think of has its doctrinal book. You know the Baptists don't have any. You know why we don't have any? Because we have one. We don't need any. God has given us his perfect word. I'm very, very thankful for the next generation that I see coming up in our church. When I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church in general, but I'm greatly encouraged with the young people that I see coming up here at Fellowship Baptist Church. I have, I have no fear concerning our church. I do for the church as a whole, but I have no fear concerning our church that we will not stay faithful to the fundamentals of the faith. We'll talk more about this tonight. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.